Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Well, good afternoon again. Wonderful to see you all here. And uh, if you're sitting at the back and you're all squashed up, there's a couple of spare seats near the front here if you're not too afraid. Um, I know it can get pretty warm and cozy there at the back. But for now, we have the Word of God to get to. And I've absolutely been loving this text during the week. And I trust that God is going to stir your heart if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I want to show you what it is that you are missing out on when you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The text as there on the board, I made a mistake. I've been saying Second Corinthians 4 verse 1 to 10, but I'm not going to get to all of those 10 verses. I was my original intention to, but we're not going to get all the way to the end today. Maybe the end of verse 9. But let's just read. We'll begin with the beginning. So, Paul is writing in Second Corinthians chapter 4. He's writing one of the most encouraging chapters in the whole Bible. Apart from Romans 8, of course. Romans 8 has got to be his magnum opus, if not the book, the letter to the Romans. But he says in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Isn't it massively encouraging to know that true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will never ultimately lose heart? We might be discouraged for a day, we might be discouraged for a week or during a period of time in our lives, but we will not ultimately lose heart. Discouragement will never bring us down completely and ultimately. I'm just telling some people about a job that I've done over the last week. I had a problem with my car. And one of the parts that I had to remove from the car was, you know how cars work sometimes, it's buried so deep in the car that you've got to remove a whole lot of things before you can get to that one part. So I worked on my car, it took me seven hours of labor to get that one part out. Seven hours, I had to dismantle a whole lot of stuff. I had a big bag of screws and bolts and connectors, can you imagine what that's like? And then I took this part out and I took it to somebody who can repair the part. And then it took me another seven hours to put the thing back together. And once I put it back together, I started the car and I was just feeling so happy that I'd fixed this whole thing. And then I realized that they hadn't fixed the part properly. So now I've got to do that again. You know, when, when I'm feeling less discouraged, I'm going to start dismantling the car again and all the way down to that part that I need to take out. And I'll take it back and we'll fix it again. And then I'll spend another seven hours putting the car back together again. But you know, the fact is that even though I felt discouraged yesterday and I was tired because I'd been under the car and my arms in grease all the way up to here, 
and you know my hands hurting little holes everywhere you know what it's like to be a mechanic you get damaged even though I felt discouraged yesterday after spending 14 hours working on this one job I'm back to square one now I've got to start all over again but Christians will never ultimately be discouraged that can't put me down for more than a day or a few hours the next morning I wake up and I'm encouraged because I have great reasons to be encouraged And you'll notice that what Paul is saying is that Christians do not lose heart, not only once, but twice. In verse 16 of this chapter, he says it again, therefore we do not lose heart. And he's capturing all of these thoughts inside of these two statements, therefore we do not lose heart, therefore we do not lose heart. So you know that in this chapter, he's trying to speak to you in such a way that you'll realize that there are big reasons that Christians have for not losing heart. And I do not lose heart. I cannot lose heart ultimately because God has given me reasons to have courage through this difficult experience of life. Notice one of the reasons that Paul says that he does not lose heart is because God has been merciful to us as believers. Notice verse 1 that I read, Therefore since through God's mercy we have this ministry. Paul has this wonderful ministry that he's going to describe in a little more detail in a few moments. But he realizes that God has been merciful to him. If I go through that discouragement and then I begin to say, I don't know if God's being merciful to me. I think God's being hard with me. I've come to the wrong conclusion. So under any difficulty, I do not lose heart because I know that God is a merciful God. Can you imagine how hard it would be if God wasn't merciful? Then I would be suffering. Then you would be suffering way more if God was not being merciful to you. So now, he doesn't lose heart. And how does Paul not lose heart? In contrast to not losing heart, these are the things that he does instead of losing heart. Notice verse 2. He says, rather... Or instead of losing heart, these are the things I do. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, and then he goes on and he explains what he does. So he says, these are the things that we stop doing. And these are the things that we continue to do. And those are the things that we do instead of losing heart. And that's amazing. You know, often we take this as a negative thing. Oh, I'm going to not be discouraged now. And I'm going to try harder and harder and harder not to be discouraged. But Paul shows what he does instead of losing heart. This is how he persists. And that results in him not losing heart. These These are the two opposing things. And the one opposing thing is he says we've renounced secret and shameful things or we've renounced secret and shameful ways. And I think as Paul goes on a little bit later, he's going to show that he doesn't preach himself, but he preaches Christ. And you can imagine all the kinds of deception that a preacher or a believer who only has his own comfort in mind has to go to in order not to uh, be exposed publicly. I mean, how many big name preachers have we seen recently who've been involved in scams? Like, I don't even know if I should mention Bushiri's name. But we've seen him all over the news. And we've seen the scandal that he's involved in. And that is a secret and shameful way. He's been doing things below the surface while he's been posing as a prophet of the Lord. 
And Paul says, we don't do that. If you know me and you see my life in public, you know what my life is in secret because we don't live secret and shameful ways. We don't have two agendas. We don't have two faces. He says, we've renounced secret and shameful things. And then he says, not being crafty. Or he says, um, we do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. We don't have to deceive people. We don't have to twist the Word of God in such a way that we, people will come to us and it will appear that we have a following. But we don't. We just have people who are greedy or fearful following us. No. We speak the Word of God plainly. That's what he says. We don't adulterate the Word of God. We don't mess it up. We don't have to twist it. And how wonderful it is for us here in Living Hope Church that we can simply trust what the Word of God is saying at face value. We can encourage each other with the Word of God and that results in us not losing hope. You know how amazing it is when I see somebody coming to me for counseling and they've got such a complicated problem. And we begin at one point... We begin to unravel one thing at a time and we bring the plain and simple truth to bear on a person's life and suddenly they break free. God's Word sorts out the complication and the tangle in people's minds. When you separate issues and you put them down on the table and you deal with one thing after the other. We don't need to use deception. We don't need to try and use fear tactics. We don't need to try and set up rewards and goals for people to reach so that their greeds can be satisfied. We just put them plainly before God. We bring them, as I said before, we bring them face to face with God. And the truth is what helps them to think clearly and what sets them free. And they do not lose heart, as Paul, the words that Paul uses here. They live encouraged lives. They live blessed lives. So in contrast to losing heart, Paul says we renounce secret and shameful ways. He says we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, he says, in agreement with not losing hope, these are the things that we actually do. In other words, these are are the things we don't do. We don't deceive and twist the word of God. But these are the things that we do. These are the things that we practice. We proclaim openly and plainly the truth. Isn't it sad how many of us as believers are ashamed to share the gospel with people who do not believe? Because we're afraid we're going to look stupid. We're afraid people are going to look at us and think of us as less than we already are. I think if you, I think if you honestly take the truth about man in the Bible to heart, you'll realize that nobody can ever make me look worse than I actually am. I'm always worse. It doesn't matter how people insult me. But Paul says, we just present this plainly and openly. The Word of God, Paul's not ashamed of the Word of God. And he says, thus, we commend, uh, he says, he commends himself to every person's conscience. He says, we, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. When you are consistently about the Word of God, plain and simple, no trickery, no deception, no secret ways, no hidden agenda, when every time somebody asks you a question and you never get caught up in your words because you always refer to the same text, the same truths, you come back to the same well-worn paths, people eventually begin to trust trust you, don't they? 
Because they can never catch you out in a contradiction. If I'm sticking to the Word of God and the Word of God doesn't contradict itself, I'm never afraid that somebody's going to come and say to me, but last week you told me this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I did. I don't know, I don't know how to sort that out. I guess you know, I got caught out in my lies. It's never happened to me in 20 years of counseling the Word of God that somebody has, has accused me of contradicting myself. And that you know, isn't an obvious misunderstanding from the text. I just know that I can keep preaching the text and people trust what I say because I keep close to the text of Scripture. And that's so encouraging for me. You know how complicated it gets when you're a deceptive person and you have to tell different people lies. And then sooner or later you, you learn the reality of that old English proverb, oh, the tangled webs we weave when at first we learn to deceive. You know, lies cover up lies and lies cover up lies and eventually everybody knows you as a different kind of person and eventually those roads and that web starts crossing and you get so tangled you don't know where to go and notice that he says that we commend ourselves to every man's conscience before God even before God you can have a clear conscience you can live a life at peace while you are not losing hope because you know that what you are speaking is true and wonderful and right and it is helpful to people who hear. So Paul gives us reasons why he doesn't lose hope. The first is because he realizes that he's a recipient of God's mercy. The second is that he has two ways of maintaining his hope. The first is he pushes off all of these deceptive ways. He doesn't have to use deception. He doesn't have to distort the word of God. And then in contrast to that, he deliberately teaches the Word of God plainly, and he lives with a clear conscience before people and a clear conscience before God. So people can look at him and say, this guy lives a clean, this is the real deal. This guy's genuine. Isn't it strange to meet a genuine guy in this world? And people look and they say, wow, you know, I can say, I can recommend that guy or that lady. Because that person consistently tells the truth, plain and simple, and they never get caught out in lies or deception. Isn't that wonderful? Go down to verse 3. Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So what he's going to do here now, he's going to say, Now you might be thinking, this is a bit confusing. You see the false teacher amassing huge groups of followers behind them but the person who tells the truth plainly and clearly and openly in all of its sort of unvarnished form their churches are small and there's very few followers that follow these ordinary kind of people there's no power in their ministry and Paul is saying that if that is true if it is true that people don't want to hear your message because you present it in an ordinary way, the fault is not with the way that you are living or presenting the message. The fault is with the person who is listening. And isn't that an encouraging thing? How, how many churches have to you know, create more fireworks, more fancy lights, louder music, more complex systems, like a church that spends millions of rands on their sound system so that everything can be integrated. I like music, I like live music, but if you're depending on that, the fancy mood and the aromas in the church and 
the flashy lights and everything, if you're depending on that to make the gospel more attractive, then you've already failed. That's not what's going to bring people to see the Lord Jesus Christ, is it? What brings people to see the Lord Jesus Christ, why Paul doesn't lose heart, is the simple truth taught in a simple and straightforward and honest way. A plain and humble presentation of the truth. Whole person to whole person discipleship. Sharing the truth as a person. So Paul says, if a person doesn't listen to that, the person who's perishing is not going to hear that. Not because there's something wrong with the truth you're presenting, but because he is a person who's perishing. He's a person who's being wasted. He's a person who's fading away. He's a person who's living in opposition to God. He hears something and he doesn't want it. Now you've got to paint it a different color. You've got to dress it in different lights to make it appealing to that person. But no, the fault is not with your presentation. The fault is with the individual who will not hear what you have to say about God. So in verse 3, the gospel doesn't fail. It is people who fail to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the saddest things that we find in the Word of God is when God describes what it's like for a person to perish. What the perishing look like, the lot of the perishing. And in this text, you'll, you'll see implied, in you read between the lines, you're going to find Paul's description of what it looks like to perish. And I'm hoping by the time I finish preaching on this text today, you will look at what it looks like to perish and you'll say, Oh God, make me a recipient of your mercy. God have mercy on me and help me that I do not perish in the way described in this text. Because it's the most dreadful thing you can imagine. So people don't understand the plain and simple gospel preached by a simple, ordinary Christian person. There's no way that you can make the gospel more attractive to somebody than you are already doing. It is the fault of the person who's listening and he does not want what you are presenting to him. It's not because Paul, in this case, is preaching a confusing message that people don't want to listen. Or that he's living a confusing life. Because he's already said we don't lose heart because we're living a plain and simple Christian life. It is because people who don't understand are perishing. They are unbelievers. They do not believe the message that you are presenting to them. Isn't it interesting when the Lord Jesus is preaching, well teaching, speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He speaks about Nicodemus. He's like, help me, Jesus, to understand what you're saying. And Jesus uses illustrations, multiple illustrations in that chapter. And he helps Nicodemus to understand what it's like, what it means to be born again. But it's interesting, while Jesus is speaking, he's giving those illustrations of what it's like to become a Christian, to have the, the life of the Spirit in the soul of man, to have new life. While he's busy describing it, at the end he says... But you people do not believe. And he, he tells Nicodemus, it's not because you are failing to understand what I'm saying. It's because you do not or you refuse. You're in a state of, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. And that's exactly what Paul is speaking about here. He's speaking in verse 4 about people who are unbelievers. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers... So that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They cannot see it. They don't believe it. They don't want it. 
And that's a state in which they are going to be sealed. And I'm, I've got to say this, this may be the state in which you are sealed as you sit here today. You can be listening to this message and you might be locked in the state of unbelief because the God of this world, Satan, has blinded your mind so you cannot see this truth. You cannot see the gospel as beautiful. You cannot see it as so glorious that it motivates you through every moment of your life. You can't see that if you lost Jesus Christ, then nothing else matters because you've got nothing. You've lost everything if you've lost Jesus Christ. And that is what it's like to perish. It's like it's to be a person who's blinded and you cannot see Jesus. You cannot see His worth. You cannot see His beauty. You cannot see the treasure that is Jesus Christ. He says their minds have been blinded by the God of this age. And it's interesting that Satan doesn't have to blind your mind to everything, does he? He doesn't have to blind your, your mind to see the trees and creation around you to say, Oh, I believe that God exists. I believe in God. He doesn't have to blind your mind to not be able to taste food or see things or hear. He doesn't have to deaden your senses so you can't enjoy the experience of life. He doesn't have to blind your mind while you're sitting in a church service from being able to understand the words that are being spoken. The blinding of Satan is a very, very, very specific thing. And I'm hoping that as you see this very specific thing that Satan blinds your, your mind to, you'll be able to tell whether or not Satan has blinded your mind or not. What is this thing, this one specific thing that Satan wants to blind your mind to? And Paul says there in verse 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul is describing this in metaphorical language. You know, English... Uh, I've heard that English is a very difficult language to, to learn because English is very, very metaphorical. So when we say that Satan has blinded their minds, you know, obviously the, the mind doesn't have eyes, does it? You know, you can't poke a stick into somebody's mind because a mind is the function of the immaterial part of the human constitution. It's a function of the soul, you know, or the spirit, the immaterial part of man. So you can't poke it, you can't blind it. So it's metaphorical, but here is another metaphor. He's speaking about um, the light. Satan is blinding the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light. There's, there's, there's an inability to see, in other words, they're in darkness. They can't see the light, the specific light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And this is a way in which you can examine yourself even as you read this text. You can say to yourself, do I see the light of the glory of Christ? When I look at Jesus, do I see Jesus as glorious? Have I ever been emotionally moved when I look at Christ and say, God, Jesus is more precious to me than anything else in this world. It doesn't matter what I get in this world. If I don't have Jesus, I have nothing. Does Jesus appear glorious to you in such a way that even if you don't get anything you want in this world, that if you have Jesus, 
like that song says that we sing here so often. If you had Jesus and nothing else you wanted in this world, that Jesus would be enough. That He is so glorious that you want Him for the rest of eternity and you want Him alone. Is Jesus in that place in your mind and in your thinking? Is there a passion in your heart for the Lord Jesus Christ? And if not, if Jesus doesn't move you, if Jesus is not your motivation, if Jesus is not one of your primary thoughts when you climb out of bed in the morning and throughout your day when you, say for example, taking your car apart for seven hours and then putting it all back together for seven hours and you're feeling frustrated, if Jesus is not at the center of your whole process of thinking while you're busy going through that difficulty, it means you're perishing. Because this is the specific thing that Satan is blinding your mind to. That you cannot see that Jesus is glorious. That the gospel of Jesus is glorious. Why? Because Jesus is the image of God. He's God Himself. He's, he's the object of greatest worth. And if you don't have the object of greatest worth, you've got nothing. You're a beggar. You are perishing. I can't imagine what it would be like to sit and know that I'm perishing and know that I don't have Jesus because Jesus is the greatest treasure. He's the most beautiful. He's the most wonderful. I can tell whether I'm perishing if I have no desire for Christ. If I don't see Him as glorious. I don't see Him as beautiful. And that's how Satan has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing, those who do not believe. They cannot see that Jesus is glorious. Yes, Jesus, you might come to Him for healing or to help your business work or, you know, to help you with this or that. As, you know, worship Jesus because of the functions that He performs. But if you don't see Jesus as a person, as glorious, as the center of the gospel, you may very well be a person, even sitting here, who is perishing. And you will not be received into glory. When Jesus Christ is revealed. And when the glory of God shines out of His people. You may see that as a spectator. But you may not be one of those who is taking part in that wonderful process of glorification. He blinds their minds from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Who is the image of God. And Paul says in verse 3. He says this specific truth. Of this specific reality is veiled so you can't see it. You know what that means? That means you can come so close to looking like a Christian. It means you can come to a service every single Sunday and you can be on a service team. You can function in the church. But there's, you say there's just this one thing I don't get. There's other people in this church who are so passionate about Jesus, but I don't quite understand that, but you know, I'm, I look the same as everybody else. It means you can come so close, but still be completely removed from the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means to perish. It means to miss the glory of God in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. What a dreadful dreadful, dreadful, eternal loss. You lose everything if you lose Christ. In verse 5, 
Paul continues. Paul urges believers, and Paul uses, and he urges believers to use the most powerful means necessary to help other people see the glories that he has seen. I don't know about you, but when I first, like coming awake for the first time in my life, when I began to see Jesus as glorious, the first thing I wanted to do before I'd even finished experiencing those first those first senses of yearning, those first moments of longing for Jesus, the first thing I wanted to do was to tell somebody else, you have to hear this. You have to read this text. You have to understand these things that I'm, I'm digging into in the text of Scripture because they're so wonderful. That's the first thing I wanted to do and that's what Paul's doing. He uses the most powerful means and I think he's already sort of given us a spoiler by showing you that he lives an ordinary Christian life. He renounces secret and shameful ways. He just goes about his days preaching the word of God in an ordinary way and presenting Christ again and again and again and again and again with the same texts. And he sees God doing extraordinary things. So in Paul's defense, as he's speaking about um, the fact that he presents the truth plainly and the fact that people don't believe as he, pre- as he presents the word of God plainly, now he says, alright, here's one thing that we don't do. In verse 5, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. So you can see Paul, now he's, he's sort of elaborating on his first section. He's preaching the word of God in an ordinary way. And by inference... You'll notice, and if you know how the letters to the Corinthians work, you know that there's these super apostles, put them in inverted commas. You know, they're so big and they're so powerful and they brag and they mock Paul, the the genuine, the only genuine apostle. And they mock him. And Paul is saying, I don't preach myself. And reading between the lines, he's saying, like these guys do, these guys who have come in among you with their fancy clothes, And, you know, I don't know, not the fancy car, but their fancy chariot or horse or whatever. I don't know what they used to ride on. They come in there and they try and impress the people with their fancy language and, you know, speaking in tongues and, you know, flashing around some miracles and stuff to make people be in awe of them. And Paul says, we don't have to do that. We've got something that is so powerful that people do not have to be impressed with me. All people have to do is hear the word of God and God completely transforms people through his word. And I don't know if you find that encouraging, but I often find that when I share the word of God, I feel like I've done this so many times. I think everybody's heard this so many times. I don't know if this is even going to have any effect. But you know, God is constantly changing people's lives in front of me as I go about day after day, hour after hour, sharing the word of God with ordinary people who are struggling, and God is transforming them. It is absolutely thrilling. It's absolutely wonderful to see God at work. And that's what Paul does. He uses the most powerful means as he approaches people. He doesn't go around like a superstar preacher. Of course, if you're a superstar preacher, if you're a televangelist, if you go around with a sequined suit, for example, and you pump, you know, you pace up and down the stage and 
you know, you put on all kinds of antics and you've got the fancy lights and you, you, you know, you're trying to get people's money from them. Of course, of course, people, nobody's ever going to get saved in, in a meeting like that. Of course, nobody's ever going to get saved because they're preaching the wrong message. How many times have I told you in conversation once with somebody who was telling me, singing the praises of T.D. Jakes? They were saying to me, you know, this guy's amazing, this guy's amazing. And, you know, they're telling me about all these rumors of people who've been healed and all this kind of stuff. So I said, all you need to do for me is you need to produce one sermon where that guy preached justification through faith and I'll believe that he's not a false prophet. And that's been years, man. It's been like six, maybe seven years since I gave that guy the challenge. And he hasn't been able to unearth one sermon where this guy preaches the gospel. He's a superstar, but nobody has ever been saved under his message. I might, there might be exceptions, like a person who's convicted of sin and he goes there and he realizes, this is not what I want. God have mercy on me for seeking out some big superstar preacher when the truth was right here in front of me. Maybe as a bad example, God saved somebody there. But never has anybody been saved by a superstar preacher who never preaches plainly the gospel of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never has anybody been saved in that way unless God deliberately caused this guy to think of something else. You know, some other truth that has been exposed to at a different place. And this has reminded him of the truth. Rather in contrast, Paul preaches Jesus as Lord. In other words, what I was saying a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about counseling, what biblical counseling does is it brings a person face to face with God. A biblical counselor steps out of the way and says, you look at your God. You see how this relates to your God. You see what God is saying to you, you need to put off. You see what God is saying to you, you need to put on. You see what God is saying to you about your own perseverance. A biblical counselor puts God and people together and causes them to look at each other in a new and practical way. And Paul is saying, that's what he's doing. I'm a servant. I'm an ordinary person. And if you want to be like Paul in this, that's what you do. The most powerful, powerful thing you can do is you can come to somebody with a plain truth, with a simple, clear conscience lifestyle. You don't have to be fancy. And you simply share the truth of the Word of God, the truth of Jesus Christ as the glorious gospel with those individuals. And God can do absolutely powerful things. And I'm passionate about this because I've seen it happen so many times. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen God dramatically changing people's lives through the simple application of the Word of God. Notice that in verse 6, Paul says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And I want to tell you, this is one verse in the Bible that I, I can't even get away from. I can't explain this word in, in, in phraseology that is beautiful enough. Because you know what he's doing, it's obvious. You can see what he's doing. Satan wants you to look stupid when you're just sharing the truth. You're just like asking somebody some questions leading questions so you can get them to the point where you get into a conversation about spiritual things and you're a little bit timid you're a little bit afraid and you, you, you're quoting a bible verse to them maybe and you're thinking oh I wonder if this is going to ruin the friendship that you've been building up for this very purpose 
And while you share in that truth, something happens. And Paul takes us all the way back to the moment of creation. When God said, let there be light. He's speaking about the moment where God spoke a universe into being. God says, you know, let the heavens and earth exist. I mean, we just, we, be, we begin to read Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Obviously, He created that by His word. So He spoke first, let the heavens and earth exist. Boom! And this entire universe springs into existence. And God says, let there be light. And bah! There's light. Everything's shining and you can see form. You can just see all of the shapes that God has created. And you know, before the universe existed, before space existed, before matter existed, before time existed, there was God. God, the one and only glorious ruler. The omnipotent, the all-powerful, beautiful, perfect one. And God exists. And as Paul says, in Him we live and move and have our being. God creates all things. He encompasses all things. And if God disappears, all things exist. The entire universe can exist and God will just keep going without that even ruffling His garments. But God speaks and this entire universe of galaxy upon galaxy, billions of galaxies spinning around, consuming massive amounts of energy on a daily basis, God causes that to take place. He spins them out into space and He maintains them for thousands upon thousands of years. And what Paul is saying is that while you, an ordinary Christian, are just sharing the Word of God plainly and in an ordinary way with somebody else, God causes an event like that to take place in the heart of an individual. It's like God speaking to create a universe. And suddenly, the lights of the universe go on inside of this person's heart. And they can see. I don't know if you've watched some of these um, videos they have on YouTube and that of people who have been blind and they've never been able to see. And suddenly an operation is performed and that person can see for the first time. Something like that man in John chapter 9 who was born blind. And Jesus gives him the ability to see. And it's amazing how people, they look at everything and they can't believe the colors. They can't believe the distance between things and the sky. They've seen the sky for the first time. And you can see people, this one person, that this video that I watched, the person's knees got weak. They just collapsed onto the ground. They couldn't even stand anymore. They were looking at things and saying, it's so beautiful, crying there on the, on the pavement. And just looking at everything and looking at people's hair and looking at people's faces. They don't have to touch them and try and work out what people look like anymore. And this, you can imagine this person sitting on the sidewalk with their knees all collapsed, just overwhelmed by the beauty of what they are seeing. And that is what God does to a person in whose heart He works when you are sharing the gospel in an ordinary way. That person just looks at Jesus and says, Oh, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Jesus is more than any other beauty I've ever seen. It's the person who is the richest man on earth who says, you can take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Jesus is a greater treasure than anything I own or anything I could ever possibly want to own. And that is what God does. He says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness in that dramatic, 
amazing, astounding, beautiful way. God does an equally great work in the heart of an individual. And what is that specific work? What is the specific work that God is doing there? The nature of this creative work that God is performing is He is taking a perishing soul, a person who cannot see Jesus, who cannot see the beauty of Jesus, who cannot see the worth and the treasure of Jesus, and He's performing an illuminating work. He's, he's putting light inside of that person's dark world. He's giving them the ability to see. He's giving him a knowledge. He's giving him facts, an, an experiential kind of knowledge that helps him to grasp something that he's never been able to grasp before. Some facts that he didn't even know existed before. He might have heard the words in the church service over and over and over. But all he heard was Jesus, 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 Jesus. But now suddenly these words have meaning for him. Suddenly the lights have gone on. It's like he's become a new creature. Suddenly he's different. He can't explain it. Suddenly the first thing he wants to do is he wants to turn to somebody next to him and say, I don't know what's happened to me. Something's changed. There was darkness. I was cold. I was lifeless. But suddenly now there's something. There's, there's new life inside of me. There's this knowledge. There's this light. I've changed. And I want to tell you about that. I want to share this. I don't know if you can understand it, but I want to tell you about it. And if a person is a true believer, they will just look at you and they'll smile and they'll say, oh, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, isn't that amazing? Man? Yeah! You know, the lights of the universe have gone on inside of this person's heart. God has done a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the specific thing that He's done is He's enabled that person. There's one thing that God has done is He's enabled him to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That one thing. If you can't see glory in the face of Christ, you may be perishing. You may be lost. You may be lifeless. If you've never been moved by Jesus in this way, that's a, a very, very strong possibility. More specifically, Paul says, this knowledge gives you the ability to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. The glory of God shining out of the beautiful face of Christ. Can you imagine missing this? Can you imagine missing this one thing that is everything? It's like an illustration I've used before. You know these guys who like to do parkour? In other words, you know, jumping from one thing to the next. The guy will come running and jump on that speaker, on the, on the little board there by Philip and, you know, swing off the, the window frame, you know, bouncing from building to building. Now let's just say this guy, he's just like parkour whiz. And he's running along the top of a building. And he makes a jump from one building to the next. And you can say, wow, this guy's amazing. He runs along that building and he jumps from that building to the next. He might be really good and he might, he might do that 99 times out of 100. And as he's jumping the last time, he's nearly making it. Nearly. Just, he just missed by that much, so it's okay. It's not a problem. He just missed by a little bit. 
I mean, you know, that's a problem, man. You're jumping off this building all the way down to the sidewalk. Does it matter that he missed by just that little bit? Of course it matters if he jumps from building to building and he just misses the next building by this much. Of course it matters. You either make it all the way or you don't make it at all. And with Jesus Christ, you can see the glory of God in the face of Christ and Jesus is everything to you or you have nothing at all. You don't have 40% of Jesus. You don't have 61.9% or 99.9%. You've got Jesus and you can see His glory, His mercy to you as Paul began this text. Or you can't see Him. He's one who just gives you stuff or helps you through life. Or else you see Him as the the object of ultimate worth. To miss this is to perish. And I cannot even describe how dreadful and how sad it is to miss Jesus Christ. Your whole purpose for existence is lost if you miss Jesus Christ. If you miss the glory of God in the face of Christ. The glorious gospel of the glory of the Lord Jesus. No wonder when Paul continues in this text, he describes this. In an even more amazing way. In verse 7 he goes on to say. But. We. Have this. Treasure. We have this treasure. What treasure is he talking about? Obviously. The light. That God pours into the heart of an unbeliever. Like Saul on the road to Damascus. When he's riding at noonday on his horse and suddenly he sees a light brighter than the sun and he falls on the ground and he says, Who are you, Lord? Do you think he knew? Of course he knows. He spends the next days on his knees praying and praying and praying. And that's why God sends Ananias to him and says, Go to Saul. He's praying. And there this man is calling out to God. He's seen this glorious light. But this light, this light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the treasure. If you have this treasure inside of yourself, you have everything. And that is what Paul is saying. I call this, this, what can I call this? Oh, what words can I use? Treasure. What bigger word can I use? It's, It's wonderful. It's thrilling. Treasure. It's treasure. It's treasure. It's everything. It's the jewel. It's the most valuable thing. We have this treasure, he says, in jars of clay. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, he's speaking about the human heart that was dark and blind and cold before. But now it's shining with light. It's shining with beauty. It's shining with an an appreciation for the mercy of God. God, you did this for me. You, God, the Almighty, came to me in this dark world among millions and millions and millions of people who are perishing. You came to me, Alan, and you caused my heart to shine. 
There's this glorious treasure that people, if they had to look into my heart and they had to see this, they would see this brilliant light shining out of my heart all of the time. Not because I'm a bright guy, but because God came to me and He put this light in my heart. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There's Jesus shining inside of this person's heart. That's treasure. What else can you have in your heart that we could call treasure? It's the most precious thing. To know this, to know this in such a way that it motivates you and moves you. It is a treasure that true believers in Jesus Christ actually have inside of their weak and fallen human hearts and frail bodies. As I'm walking to somebody and I'm sharing a text of scripture, I'm sharing some Bible truth with them. I might be fearful on the outside, but inside there's a treasure, there's something glorious, there's something so big that it's like the work of creation. When God created the universe, that's happening inside of me. There's a fire that cannot be stopped, cannot be put out with anything, even death. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you see these people singing while they're being burnt at the stake. That's the treasure. That's the power, the motivation, the force that God puts inside of the human heart when He speaks light. He speaks the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ into that person. What a beautiful, beautiful reality. We're able to see colors again. We're able to see beauty again. We're able to hear music in a different way. We're able to suffer in a different way because Paul is saying is it pains to tell us these are the reasons why we do not lose heart. I have treasure inside of me. I have something beautiful inside of me, something so wonderful that is beyond description and I want to give some of that light to you in a simple and ordinary way, sharing the truth of God in this way. When God saves like this, Paul says in the rest of that verse, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Purpose. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know, I hate the you-can-do-it gospel. You know, all you need to do is accept Jesus into your heart. And bam, it's a done deal. I believe the gospel that says God comes to an enemy by His mercy, by His grace. He looked at a filthy wretch like me. And he said, Alan, I want you as my own forever and ever. And in that moment, he speaks this treasure into my heart and I see him in a completely new way. I feel conscious of my sin. And I say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it is obvious, it is absolutely obvious to everybody who's known me that this is a work of God. It's not something Alan can do or you can do. It is a work of God and it is an all-surpassing power that God exerts when He gives you spiritual life. When He enables you to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, that is an act that requires an all-surpassing power of God. God must exert power inside of your heart in order to bring that about. We can't do that. If you've come into this church and, and your faith rests on the fact that you made a decision for Jesus at some point in your life. You prayed the sinner's prayer. But you cannot see 
the glory of God in the face of Christ in such a way that it motivates you and moves you every day if it's not your passion. I just want to warn you that you shouldn't be depending on that confession of faith. You need to be depending on the mercy of God. God have mercy on me. I can't see. God, I'm blind. God grant me the ability to see Jesus. God rescue me from this cold, worshipless heart. A heart that can't see you. A heart that hates you. A heart that wouldn't care if you if you were just gone altogether. Come to God and beg Him for mercy. So when God saves you, it must be absolutely obvious to you and absolutely obvious to the people around you that this was an act of God Almighty Himself. He rescued you while you were still God's enemy. As Paul teaches in Romans 5. The final thing we're going to look at is that this, this way in which God brings people to spiritual life this way in which God sheds light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, the way He does this, brings such a motivation to you in your life that you will never lose heart. You will never ultimately lose heart. You will never fall into a discouragement and a depression that crushes you because you will always have this treasure inside of your heart, this treasure, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. When you see how the beautiful knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ changes you, you notice that you can face every affliction in your life, every single affliction and every type of affliction with the hope of God because you have treasure in your heart. You have a motivating power in your heart and that is the power of God Himself. He used that power in order to transform you and He will power you through every calamity that you face in this world. You will notice that Paul says every confusing situation when he says perplexed. Every confusing situation we say, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. I've come to the end. Even through that, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ powers you through that perplexity. He powers you through every persecution without you ever being abandoned. I'm so moved when I read in the news, however true it is or not. When I see, for example, ISIS executing hundreds of believers. I'm so moved by the fact that those believers do not renounce their faith. Why? Why do true believers not renounce their faith? Why? Because God has changed them. God has put a treasure into their heart that even if they wanted to, they would not be able to say, okay, just in order to save my skin right now, I'm going to take this treasure out of my heart and I'm going to put it aside. Now you don't have to shoot me anymore. No, it's a fact. That God motivates those people to such a degree that they realize, you know, even if I lose my life now, I've got something so precious that these people cannot take away from me. Like when me and Lisi were tied up on the floor with wire and people were threatening to shoot us. I looked at her and we smiled at each other and I said to her, yeah, King is coming. 
You know what? What courage it gives me to know that you see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And even if wicked fools in this world are threatening to kill you right there, you think you're hey, I could see Jesus right now. Somebody I know and love could see Jesus right now. Wow. What a possibility. Those people will be held culpable for the rest of their lives, for the rest of eternity. If they do not turn to Christ in repentance. But we as believers, we have a treasure inside of us that can never be destroyed. Every calamity we will face, we will never be destroyed. We will resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. The next couple of verses in this text go on to speak about Paul carrying around in his body the death of Christ on a daily basis. You'll go through persecution as Jesus did. Even Jesus pouring out his life to death. Even death will not quench the fire of the treasure that God has put into us with this massive, massive creative or recreative power that God has used. This is power. This is light. This is treasure. So ultimately, the final test is this. Like Paul began this text when he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Is it true of you that you do not lose heart? Specifically because you have this treasure, this light inside of your heart that motivates you through every difficult situation. And I could say every easy situation too. You know, we're not only tempted by difficulty, we're tempted by pleasure as well and plenty. Does the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ motivate you through those difficulties? If it doesn't, I'm afraid you may be perishing. So I end with these two questions. Do you see beauty in the face of Christ? Have you come to God? If you do not see beauty in the face of Christ and said, like Paul, God, have mercy on me, sinner. Lord, you know, the English language or any language just lacks the words to describe the beauties of the glory of Jesus Christ fails to describe him and all of his beauty and I pray Lord that as Paul is teaching in this text that this ordinary simple straightforward presentation of the Word of God would pierce deep into the hearts of every person here believer and unbeliever alike I pray Lord that you would encourage us to know you as Savior Lord those in whose hearts you've performed this astounding work I pray Lord that you would Encourage us more and more and build us up. Help us, Lord, to know what we have and to motivate us with power to love and to reach out to others with the same treasure. And I pray, Lord, for those here today who have realized I don't really have this motivation. I don't really see, if I'm honest, I, don't, I can't actually see Jesus as beautiful. I can't see the glory of God in the face of Christ. I can't see anything beyond my current hard circumstances. And I pray, Lord, please, Lord, have mercy on every soul here today who cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And I pray that you would perform that astounding creative work in their hearts and help them to be able to see that for the first time, transform them, change them, make them into new people. We pray these things in Jesus' lovely name. Amen.